Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, Election Day is coming and we swear there are big reasons to care about it. Mother's Day has some surprising local roots and the county doesn't want to explain how an inmate died, but they're willing to take a journalist to court about it. It's May 12th, the Friday News Roundup. I'm Megan Harris and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. I'm with CityCast Mallory Falk. Good morning. Hello. And friend of the pod, Brittany Haler from the Pittsburgh Institute for Nonprofit Journalism. Good morning. Good morning. Sorry, y'all. I sound like a frog. I'm still battling these seasonal allergies. It's been rough out here. Yes, everyone in my house is sick right now. Oh, no. I hope you're not. I hope you're not joining us also sick. (laughs) I might be. I don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Brittany, I want to talk about your week. You've had a big one. Um, You are the journalist I was talking about. You went to court earlier this week against the county. Can you talk about why you had to be there? So um, the Pittsburgh Institute for Nonprofit Journalism um, back in 2020 filed a right to know request for the autopsy of a man who died in the Allegheny County Jail in Thanksgiving of 2020. Um, and the Office of Open Records actually sided with us and granted us that autopsy based on the Coroner's Act, which basically says that autopsies are open record in Pennsylvania. Um, and the county appealed that to Commonwealth Court and said, no, it's not. Um, and they made a legal argument, um, and the Court of Common Pleas actually sided with the county, and we appealed that to Commonwealth Court, and we had oral arguments in front of a panel of seven judges yesterday. Um, I was represented by the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. Um, Colin Knudsen-Burke, who is just amazing. I've followed her work for years. Um, Really glad that she was able to be on your team. She is incredible. But what was really cool is their legal fellow, who is only 29 years old, um, Sasha Dudding, she is who argued yesterday. Um, it was her first oral argument, and she kicked ass. We are an all-women's team. Also, the county assistant solicitor is a woman, which is cool. And then the panel of judges, there were six women and one man. So it was, it was, a, it was an interesting experience, regardless of outcome, to have all women discussing this thing. One, that county building, too, like it, you're surrounded by portraits of white guys for the mm-hmm. last 300 years. <laughs> and like you look up at the ceiling and there's literally white Moses and God and like some other white dude like above looking down on you. And it was all women having this like really intense and thoughtful discussion about statute. And I was like, what a wild experience I'm having right now. Um, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> So you've had this lengthy back and forth already, three years of filings and rulings and appeals. 
This week was another step in that process, um, and we'll put some links in our show notes in case anyone wants to dig into those documents. But Brittany, why is this happening in the first place? Why are so many people dying? I think 18 people have died um, in connection with the jail since 2020. Well, um, to be honest, I think that we have a higher death count because I've been looking. Hmm. I don't know if what's happening in the Allegheny County Jail is unlike other counties, hmm. um, We, but we do have a, a pretty high death rate. We have one of the highest death rates per capita in the nation, but it's because I've uncovered deaths of folks who were released from custody um, through either folks working in the jail, leaking that information to me, um, the incarcerated calling me and saying, hey, my pod someone on my pod was shipped out last night. Here's his name. Look, look him up. Um, if, if there were reporters in every other County in Pennsylvania with that kind of sourcing, they might also have one of the highest, um, incarcerated death rates in the, in the country. I think the County's practice in releasing someone on their deathbed so that they don't have to report it is also not unique to Allegheny County. Mm -hmm. I think, County in Pennsylvania is doing that. And they're successful in releasing those people before they have to report it to the public. When I used to cover ICE um, in El Paso, it was the same tactic, release people mm. um, right before they die so that it doesn't count as a death in ICE detention. So I feel like this is really common across uh, detention centers. I mean, are these people going into the jail already like extremely ill? Are they getting sick while they're there? Are like when you say, Y'all are talking about this like it's so normal. Like, are people getting sick enough to die or having injuries enough that they die that often? Again, our county doesn't share a lot of information when someone dies. And then they're mm -hmm. stopping you from getting an autopsy report. And they're not releasing, giving families medical records. They're, so there's, it's hard to answer that question because we don't know. And another person died this week, like right before you went to court. Um, he was found unresponsive in the jail's intake unit. What's the solution here? For the people dying? Yeah. <laughs> um, or for the information that we're not getting about it? Uh, I don't know. I guess we're just trying to get to like, is is there a clear solution or a clear path forward or steps that the county could be taking that they're not? They could make autopsy <laughs> public. Um, they could be, I think, I mean, what's interesting with this last case, the one that the most recent death is that I reported it because I was leaked emails from Warden Harper to the Jail Oversight Board describing the circumstances of this death. Um, we reported that first and then the county followed up with a press release. And that's the first time they've done that. And so bare minimum release more information. It just give us, the, just tell us that they're dying is actually where we're at right now with Allegheny County. Mm. It shouldn't be that I'm catching you, you know. Anything else that you really want to see them do in regard to the jail specifically? We have a, a severe staffing issue. Um, the people who are coming in, according to people working there, they don't have adequate staff to, to medically clear these folks. Um, sergeants and folks without medical backgrounds are, are, are clearing these people to go up from intake into general population. And if you have someone who maybe doesn't have a medical background saying, oh, this person's okay. Like, how do we know that? How do you, you know? So there's, we have a medical staffing crisis. We've had a medical staffing crisis at the jail since 2020 or since I've been reporting. Um, that I think is probably the major issue is that deficit of, we just do not have enough people to work the building. 
Um, and when someone experiences a medical emergency, that means it can take longer for someone to get to them. Um, maybe folks who are attending to them don't have medical degrees or have the, you know, maybe it's a corrections officer versus a nurse. I mean, if I was having a heart attack, I would rather someone who has a medical background be the person responding to me. So there's that issue. Um, our county executive hasn't attended a jail oversight board meeting ever, I think. <laughs> um, so that's another level of transparency and accountability when people are coming to these meetings and having these discussions about what's going on in the jail, what stories are being are have been broken about the jail, what the media is doing. He, our county executive is not present for those discussions. And as a journalist who's covering this and attending those meetings, I'd like to know what our county executive thinks about this 18 men that have died in the jail but our county doesn't respond to requests for comments about that from Fitzgerald and he doesn't go to jail oversight board meetings so I have yet to hear what what the county executive's office position is on these kinds of things and that would I would like to see that change <laughs> just brass tacks what does our county executive think yeah so Brittany back to your case you know what did you hear in court this week and what are the next steps um so it could take months you know, we could find out in summer that we have been granted an autopsy or we could find out in winter. It's really, it's, it's, we have no idea. Um, so that's kind of exciting and terrifying and frustrating all at once. For but somebody who died three years ago. Yes. Hmm. Right. And there are other men who have died without families in the jail that I would like to request the autopsies for, you know. Um, who so are hopefully this would give you the precedent to, to seek those additional reports yes. as well. Yes. And then you could compare patterns, you could compare all sorts of things and just get to the to just the, again the bare minimum. What happened? We don't know what happened. We don't know how the medical examiner is making a determination based on what you know, we just get the cause and manner of death without all of the other things that go into determining that, which includes police reports, it includes interviews, it includes um, you know, the medical side of it. It's not just this sort of hard thing to look at when you talk about a body. It's all of these other things. There's so much that goes into that determination that the public should be allowed to read. Well, Brittany, thanks again for all of your reporting on this. Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. 
So we're just a few days away from our primary election next Tuesday. Uh, We did a big breakdown of the big races a few weeks ago, and we'll drop a link to that episode in our show notes. But I wanted to dig a little deeper into the county executive race specifically because it's essentially the most important position in our region. And Brittany, I know it's one you're especially interested in because the new county executive will, of course, oversee the jail, um, might even go to a meeting. Who knows? Um, (laughs) The outgoing executive, Rich Fitzgerald, has ruled his office with a quiet sort of iron fist Mm -hmm. for 12 years. It's it's been interesting. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. in terms of the jail, the jail in particular, and, and the media's relationship with covering that, um, the county has a, a media policy for jail employees that prohibits them from talking to the media. It's like um, a literal written policy, right? Yes. So you can get fired for talking to a reporter about yes. something that maybe needs a whistle blown about. Yes. And much of the reporting that I've done um, in the jail is coming from folks who work there. They have said to me on multiple occasions, I wish I could be on record with you. I wish I could tell you, but I'm going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. And it makes it very difficult, as you know, to report with only anonymous sources. You know, mm-hmm. what, do, what do you hang your hat on? How do you report something with every when everyone is off record? So is this approach unique to the jail or has Fitzgerald just kind of in general ruled with an iron fist during his tenure um, when it comes to like anything county related? Brittany, you and I were talking, um, you know, off mic about, you know, you used to be able to talk to the coroner. I remember going on tours there. Um, It's not really a thing you can do anymore. Like, you can't just pop into a county office. No, you have to go through the county executive's office and and get express permission to speak to our medical examiner, to speak to our health department. Um, When I first started reporting, you could just willy nilly email folks and maybe get them on the phone or or show up. And now you kind of have to go through to go through the county executive's office in order to get that information. And, you not maybe I won't I'm not allowed to go, but you, (laughs) you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to go to the jail. I haven't asked. I should try and ask and see if they'd let me. But I know that they've let G in there. Yeah, you absolutely should go. I used to work there. I used to teach there, but I don't know if I'm allowed in there now. (laughs) I mean, it seems like, you know, there's this outgrowth to all of this. Like, Brittany, it sounds like you're kind of on the extreme end. But when government agencies kind of keep journalists at an arm's length, um, maybe act as if like they don't owe journalists this information, it just keeps everyone in the community less informed um, and less able to kind of advocate on behalf of all of our collective needs if we don't know what's going on. And it also feels like a little patronizing sometimes that, you know, like one office on high can knows what any one of us needs more than we do. I don't know. It just bums me out sometimes. And then, I mean, I guess to just bring this back to the election, to this race, you know, we've kind of lived with this approach for over a decade with Rich Fitzgerald and his administration. Do we know at all how other candidates might be in office? Like, have any of them actually talked about their approach to transparency? I haven't heard anybody talk about their approach to transparency, but I also haven't heard anyone ask them. <laughs> so Actually, not- Brittany, I sent you a link. Charlie Wolfson at Public Source uh, did some digging on this and had um, kind of his own questionnaire. I'm curious what you think of some of the prompts, the questions, and of course, obviously the answers, because there's a handy chart we'll link in our show notes. But there are a lot of yeses, like we will create this, we will do hmm. this, we will share this kind of information. Does any of these stick out to you? Let's see. Make... Oh, yeah, this is great. 
Um, wait, who said no? <laughs> Republican, Joe Zeroing Rocky. right in. <laughs> the daily schedule is interesting. Does that not happen now, I guess? <laughs> it did I don't under know. the Peduto administration um, mm. for a long time, but I don't think it's the norm anymore. Mm. And this would be like a daily public schedule for the county executive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great during the Peduto administration because, like, I mean, just as a reporter, I could be like, oh, you're meeting with the executive from this company. I wonder what you're going to talk about. Oh, you're talking to so-and-so from KDKA. I wonder what they're going to ask. Um, it was great because you could also, like, know where the mayor's going to be at yes. all times. You could ambush them, so, <laughs> sort of, with a question that they're, like, trying Megan, to dodge. don't it talk these candidates out of agreeing to this. <laughs> when also sometimes it was just more efficient, right? Like, they're going to be somewhere anyway. The question you have is so small and so yeah. minor. Yes. but. I also need it in your voice. Right. Right. I like that. That would be cool. Everyone says they're going to do it. Well, except the one the one candidate who didn't respond at all to the survey. True. Oh, right. um, <laughs> uh, Teresa Calese uh, didn't respond to the questionnaire. Oh. So oh. we're missing her responses. Mallory, what about you? Anything in there that strikes you? Um, let me see. A lot of them have to do with like political finance, like um, different kinds of disclosures. Um, should the county let people know that they're doing a thing? Um, it's not about their feelings about journalists. So like enacting a gift ban for county officials, um, banning board members from receiving political contributions from vendors. Um, are these questions based on things that happen in other counties or were they just you know what I mean? Like, what is the... Yes. So in the reporting, Charlie says that he surveyed candidates for their stances on a set of policies that are already um, in use in other local governments, including in the city of Pittsburgh. So this is stuff that our city currently abides by, but maybe oh, the county cool. doesn't. Okay. I was going to say, does our city not do this already? Because that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> and it did. I mean, there is a quote from... Um, Someone who's a policy director at a good government group who says that there's no question Allegheny County is standing out for pretty substantial gaps in public integrity mm. law. Mm. So these are all areas where it seems like, you know, folks who study this stuff think that the county could improve on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amy Downs, communications director, Amy Downs, in the same story, said that she thinks that they've made the office much more transparent during their time in office, um, that they have websites where residents can view data on air quality and health inspections and COVID-19, which is all true. Yes. Um, but it doesn't speak to some of the stuff on this list. No. Right. So, again, we'll include this list and this reporting in our show notes if you want to check it out for yourself. It has, you know, a lot more details on how candidates responded to these questions. And then just want to remind everybody the election is on Tuesday, the 16th. Um, If you requested a mail-in ballot and haven't sent it in yet, your best bet is at this point is to drop it off. Yeah, and there's a drop-off at the county office building at the corner of Forbes and Ross. That's open from 8.30 a.m. to 8 p.m. on weekdays, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Saturday, and 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. on Sunday. And then, of course, you can always go to your local polling place on Election Day and vote. That's my Mm -hmm. favorite for the sticker alone. I hoarded my sticker last time just so I could have it for my kid this time. Oh, that's a great (laughs) idea. Um, Yeah, so check the county election office for your polling place. And uh, we'll also put that in our show notes so you can, you know, make sure you're showing up at the right spot. So to end the show on a lighter note, Mother's Day is this weekend. And I know it's going to be a special day for both of you because Brittany and Megan, you're both new moms. And this is going to be your very first Mother's Day. How are you feeling? I mean, I feel raspy. I have daycare cold my first daycare cold so I really feel the love for my child right now (laughs) it feels really surreal I keep thinking about it like 
like, I don't know. I'm like, oh, it's Mother's Day. It's for me now. I don't know. Um, but I'm still like getting stuff for my mom. <laughs> Do you have Mother's Day plans, Brittany? I don't right now. I know my husband is cooking breakfast. That is the first. <laughs> he was like, "Do you want to go out to breakfast?" And I was like, "No, it's going to be insane." And he was like, "I'll cook breakfast." And I was like, "Cool." So that's the plan. <laughs> so Brittany, cooking breakfast at home instead of going out is actually in line with the original Mother's Day vision that the founder had. I just actually heard this really fascinating episode of CityCast Philly, shout out to our sister pod, about the origin of Mother's Day. And it turns out it was created in Pennsylvania, founded by a Philadelphian named Anna Jarvis. Um, And it turns out that she would hate the way that most of us observe the holiday right now. I only found out that this was created by a Pennsylvanian because I saw their calendar plans, but I have no (laughs) idea what the story is behind it. Well, lucky for you, I'm here with a little more info. Uh, Credit to Patricia Maude. She's the senior digital editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer, and she's the one who shared the story with CityCast Philly. So Anna was really close with her mom. Um, Her mom died in 1905. And so in the years after that, she kind of celebrated her mom's life with her friends and then eventually decided she wanted to expand the celebration to be more encompassing of all mothers. And then everyone caught on. That's amazing. Yeah, well, it through her like hard, persistent work. So um, I guess in 1908, she had like a memorial service for her mom at the family church in West Virginia and a celebration in Philly where she persuaded ministers to preach about motherhood. And then oh. she decided this needed to go national. Um, How did it shift from that? to that. Yeah. Like how the two these two separate things. Yeah. So she basically started this letter writing campaign and just contacted like a bunch of authority figures and got it adopted sort of state by state. And then she hmm. took this campaign to Congress um, and got Woodrow Wilson's attention. And so then he officially made it a national holiday during his presidency. Was she a mom? Do we know? That's a great question. It was not mentioned in this episode. So my assumption is she wasn't. This was about celebrating, like honoring the memory of her own mother, which I also think it's really interesting that this day that can be really like hard and painful for people who've lost their moms actually was started by someone who lost her own mom. And it was really about kind of honoring and celebrating the life that she lived. Wow. So it's like an ancestor lady day versus like by your mom stuff. (laughs) Exactly. And that's kind of how she turned on it was she really hated um, how commercialized it became because it really was about, you know, either honoring the memory of your mom or spending quality time with your mom if she was still here. Um, So I want to play a clip from Patricia's interview with CityCast Philly that I think kind of sums up um, how she became such a Mother's Day hater after inventing it herself. Later in life, she really grew to hate the holiday. She saw how commercialized it had become. Mm -hmm. She fought against florists, handy makers, greeting card companies. She really wanted it to be a day where you went to church with your mom, where you spent time with your mom, where you wrote a letter, a very heartfelt letter to her instead of what it had become, which was just commodified and and buying things. In fact, she uh, there's some lawsuits involved, I believe. Wow. She boycotted sales. She was even arrested once in 1925, I believe, protesting against some war mothers who were selling carnations. Carnations actually became a symbol for Mother's Day. So 
it's complicated. It's interesting to have started something and then later in life to really rally against it. Once again, a court battle for Mother's Day. Brittany, this is the perfect story for you. I, I, we were trying to find a link, and there it is. She was the, <laughs> the Brittany Haler of Mother's Day. <laughs> well, before, before we draw too many conclusions, uh, what happened to Anna? So, yeah, according to Patricia, she just kind of spent the rest of her life rallying against Mother's Day um, until she died in her 80s. And, you know, she's probably just rolling over in her grave as everyone makes their brunch plans for this weekend. And uh, so I'm curious, uh, Megan and Brittany, like, does learning about the origins of Mother's Day change your vision for the holiday at all? Well, maybe. Like, my appreciation for my mother is so different now that I've had a kid, Mm. Um, especially, like, going through labor itself and and giving birth and stuff. And, um, like, Mother's Day for me is differently in terms of my mom, more so almost with me. So that might be in, in line with what Anna wanted. Like I'm low key, like, wow, this, this is a bigger mother's day for me in terms of her almost. Mm. Yeah. And not just my own mother, but all the mothers in my life. Like I knew that I had a good circle before, but just the volume of women who would reach out and say, Hey, welfare check, how you doing? Um, Through the course of pregnancy, Brittany, you were one of those for me, just, you know, checking in and saying like, is there anything you need? Do you need to vent? How are things? I You texted me on the day I was induced and it was this little <laughs> balloon that helped me into the hospital. Like she was like, I know you're going in, like, good luck. It's going to be awesome. And it was really great to have that, especially in journalism. I think it, you, you're someone I look up to and it's, I, I'm excited that there's someone else who's my age having kids who's like in the industry and doing it. And I really look up to you in that regard. You're very kind, um, but I feel like I'm just paying it forward to the amazing women, journalists and otherwise, who kind of did it for me. It's it's great to see that there are so many of us out there doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> Such a beautiful note to end on. And yeah, we'll make sure we put a link to the episode in our show notes in case you want to learn more about Anna and her uh, her journey to create and then fight against Mother's Day. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our music is by Benji. Mallory Falk is our lead producer. Other producers this week include Maria Carter and Elizabeth Kama. Francesca DeBecco writes our newsletter, and I'm your host, Megan Harris. We'll be back to full powers on Monday, fingers crossed, with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend, everyone. I just looked up her end on Wikipedia. It is dark. What happened? She died. I'm reading Wikipedia, so grain of salt. She died in a sanitarium with her medical bills being paid by people in the floral and greeting card industries. (gasps) 